0: on this week's episode of In The Suite with Tina Powell.
1: Hang around with people that inspire you, that are doing work that challenges you, and back to the theme of growth in an area where there are growth opportunities and and people are, are seeking growth or looking to grow, both personally but obviously as a business. It's actually okay to say no at certain points in your life
0: Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. Taking a seat in the suite for an inspiring episode is the unstoppable Trisha Rothschild, a powerhouse in the world of FinTech. With a career spanning over 30 years and an impressive portfolio of success, Trisha is the epitome of excellence in wealth tech from serving as the president of Apex FinTech Solutions to her nearly 26 years at Morningstar, where she held positions as chief product officer and co-head of global markets, managing a $700 million portfolio of global software, data, and research business. With a bachelor's degree from Northwestern University, a master's in Russian and Central European Economics from Indiana University, and a CFA designation. Trisha is an expert in her field. Recognized as women to watch by Investment News and named most likely to change wealth management by financial planning, Trisha is a true leader in the industry. She is currently a vice chair of the CFA Institute Board of Governors and sits on the advisory board of Riskalyze and Financial Fitness Group. And that's not all. In fact, one of the many gifts that you'll discover about Trisha Rothschild in this episode is that she is a pioneer in many ways, including her philanthropic endeavors. Trisha and her husband co-founded the Chicago Giving Circle, a community of families supporting local nonprofits. In this episode, Tricia opens up about the evolution of fintech, the importance of checking in, and women's representation in the industry. She also sheds light on the rebranding of Riskalyze and the difference between a CFA and CFP designation, while sharing key lessons she's learned from trailblazing a long and successful career as a wealth tech investor. And an independent-minded fan of the disruptor and the underdog in the suite. Wow, Trisha Rothschild, take a seat in the suite. I'm so honored. There's such a behind-the-scenes story about this podcast. This is going to be such an incredible discussion, particularly for women in FinTech and Wealth Tech and the project product management track. I am so excited and so grateful for you to be here. Thank you, Tina.
1: <laughs> I'm very happy to be here also.
0: So I want to just segue really fast to so the people listening here to know why, like why I'm usually really appreciative, but I'm doubly appreciative because what happened is, is that Trisha and I I was testing out a piece of new equipment <laughs> for that interview in person. And so I worked the night before and then I came back and when I downloaded the files to my computer, the file sizes were big, but when I listened, there was no, no audio there. So this is actually our second interview, but boy, we had a great discussion the first time. And this is even, this is going to be even more insightful because a lot of what we talked about is after the fact But first of all, let me congratulate you. Let me kind of take like the last three months and congratulate you and Riskalyze. I saw you at the Wealthies on September 8th. It it seems like it was many moons ago, but I mean, today's recording, we're not even in December yet. So it was just a couple months back. So congrats there. It was great to see you. Thank you. Yeah, it it was a very busy fall. It
1: does seem like a long time ago, but it was a great event, and I was really happy to be be there with uh, the Riskalyze team.
0: Yeah, and congrats to Riskalyze. We're huge fans of Riskalyze, and uh, we were both at the Fearless Investing Summit, which is where that recording took place. Riskalyze won the 2022 Wealth Management Industry Award for Technology Providers uh, Risk Tolerance and Client Profiling. And what I was sharing with you, Tricia, was the fact that we were power users of Riskalyze way back when, over five and a half years ago, when when I was at the wealth management firm, when I was at Beacon Wealth Management.
1: Yeah, thanks. I I was appreciative uh, also as a board member of Riskalyze to be a recipient of that award. And I think it kind of speaks to the fact that in this industry, I think there's a lot of people that are really good at making the simple complex. Mm -hmm. That's unfortunate. And I think what Riskalyze does quite uniquely well is make the complex simple. And so if you think about the the risk tolerance and client profiling tool, which I know you you have told me that you used to great effect, um, it really is something that the end investor can understand and relate to, even if they don't have a background in measuring risk in the financial markets, but it speaks to the end investor, helps the advisor grow their business, and actually also from a compliance perspective, ensures that there is a kind of a flow through between what the client is expecting and, and needs and wants and what is the advisor is actually delivering. So I, I think it's one of the few tools actually that can hit on all three of those stakeholder groups and and provide value to each member of that chain.
0: Yeah. And I think that they were one of the first fintech companies that really took UI and UX to a new level. And I remember putting out a, a, a tweet and I took a screenshot of like I had an old screenshot and they were like, no, that's a that's a wrong screenshot. It was like, okay, delete tweet. Like I love that attention to detail. And I think that the platforms that we use today have come such a long way. But another thing that was really exciting about Riskalyze is that number one, I wanna congratulate you for being appointed to the board of directors. This is our industry titan series here on the podcast. You're the first guest to uh, to kick it off. And so now you've been a board of director member for Riskalyze for the last 11 months now. And so I would love to know I'm deeply curious about how that opportunity fell into your lap.
1: Sure. So, I don't know if it really fell into my lap per se, because everybody in the industry is is you know relatively well connected, and you have a lot of uh, history with various people. So I've known Aaron Klein for for years. He was a client of mine when I was at Morningstar, and also a, a partner of Morningstar's, and still is an integration partner with a couple of the uh, Morningstar. Products and what I think was most uh, new, new news was Riskalyze was recapitalized and HG Capital, which is a very large PE fund based in London but also expanding in the U.S., came in as the majority owner about a year ago. And I joined the board shortly thereafter. They they reconstituted the board and it was a really amazing opportunity for me both to reconnect with Aaron and uh the riskalize team but also to work with HG and take some of that capital that that they have to bring to bear to help riskalize continue to evolve as a as an organization and and help shape that so so the, that was one of the other motivations i would say for me to join at the time that i did
0: yeah it's such an exciting opportunity and the, i would say that at Fearless Investing Summit that the room shook when there was another huge announcement and that is that Aaron Klein, CEO of Riskalyze announced that they would be going through a rebrand in 2023, which as a marketer, I, I love rebrands. They are bold, audacious moves. So I couldn't wait to get you in the suite here because I'm like, wow, that was it. You're like He dropped the knowledge bomb and then that was it. <laughs> so I am curious, what can you tell us? <laughs> well, I'll
1: tell you. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. No, I, uh, I think if you if you if you understand all of the capabilities that Risk has to offer, it's kind of obvious that while risk as a cornerstone and a core component, as as I already said, in terms of often Differentiating in the industry that value that can be provided all the way from the end investor all the way back into an enterprise at an enterprise wide level. Like that's very clear and true, but there are many, many parts of helping an advisor grow their business that the product and the platform already accomplishes. And I can tell you from my my prior experience at, at Morningstar, where I spent most of my career building up that firm, that the the brand had such a broad, bold, inspiring vision that it allowed the organization to just grow in so many ways, always with the same ethos of serving the end investor. It doesn't take away. So in the case of Riskalyze, thinking about the brand in a broader, bigger, bolder way doesn't take away from the ethos of making sure that the end investor is still kind of getting what they need and expect from their investments and and can sleep well at night. Uh, But it also... I will I think will definitely better express mm-hmm. the, the broader range of of value that the firm already provides into the industry. So I think that that will that will be a very valuable and meaningful piece of news coming out in 2023.
0: And I would be remiss if I didn't ask like is that a Q1 is that a Q2 or a Q3 cuz I'm I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> So I'm going to hold that information. We are proponents of growth. It sounds like this is a Riskalyze commercial. I would love to say I'm not getting paid by Riskalyze. We have no commercial relationship with Riskalyze whatsoever. But what this podcast is all about, it's about personal growth and it's about brand growth. And while you were there, you had. Fintech industry titans, state of the industry panel discussion. It is on YouTube, so I will put the notes in there. I find that the information was very relevant. You had Brian Hamburger, Lori Hardwick, Bill Krager, Cody Foster, and Jamie Hopkins all on one stage together. I mean, that's incredible. What do you think are are the big takeaways for growth strategy? yeah it was a really great panel it was
1: fun prepping for it um it was you know obviously fun to to sit with those folks on stage and and uh chat about what people were seeing i would say one of the more interesting takeaways for me which uh, there's been such a uh, a lot of ebb and flow for lack of a better word around ESG and social impact investing and you know it different parts of the world it means different things and in the US I think there's there's been some interest some skepticism bill craiger yeah summed it up really well by saying you don't necessarily need to be thinking about ESG in terms of those three letters but what is true is that every portfolio has meaning to the people who hold it, right? To the investors who are invested in that portfolio, the portfolio has some sort of impact to their lives. And when you think about what that impact is, and if that, if as an advisor, you can really speak to the impact and think of it that way, it, it takes away maybe some of the concern that people have about this value or that value and really puts it more in the lens of each individual investor and i thought that was a really interesting way to frame it and and something that i hadn't necessarily thought of in exactly that way before but making your investments relevant to you and as an advisor making sure that you have a way to talk to people about their investments that make them relevant to them is very valuable
0: i totally agree on that and it was a fantastic moment when bill Krager said that. What I want to do is when we would share this in the show notes, I want to get to that exact mile marker in that because it was worth it. There was so much, like, there was so much emotion in his expression of that. And I felt like it was an aha moment. Here you were. There was almost a thousand advisors in the room. And that when he just delivered that, it was like a light bulb went off in all of our heads. And it doesn't matter how long you've been investing. You've been in the world, this world for a long, long time. I want to kind of transition into that. I think that Bill's insightful comment is a great, great transition into your history, Tricia. You were spent three decades of nearly three decades at Morningstar as chief product officer, co-head of global markets at Morningstar. And I looked at it, 26 years equates to 9,496.5 days of your life. That's huge. I'm curious about how you got the 0.5. I plugged it into some algorithm. Math is not my strong suit at all. Although I was, my daughter was a secondary math major in college had nothing to do with me whatsoever. So I did plug it into some sort of a wiki thing that I found. I'm like, okay, let's do the math. (laughs) Okay, all right, I believe you. (laughs) When you started at Morningstar, did you know that you would have any inclination whatsoever that it would be such a long road? No, 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 no.
1: But I, I, I do think there are some amazing lessons to take from that that hopefully would be useful to other people. And I try to instill this in my own kids who are two of them are in their 20s and the third is um, 17, which is Hang around with people that inspire you, that are doing work that challenges you. And back to the theme of growth in an area where there are growth opportunities and and people are are seeking growth or looking to grow both personally, but obviously as a business. And those were the three things that were in abundance throughout my career at Morningstar. And and really, actually, after I, I left, somebody said to me, Something about I had worked at one place for so long, it would be very difficult to uh, adapt to some other work environment. And I mean, culturally, it's true. Morningstar has a very specific culture, and obviously that is the culture that I both liked and shaped over all the time I was there. But from a business perspective, I mean, there were at least 16 different startups that I was a part of over the time. Some of them succeeded and some of them were blatant failures. And you learn so much from that. But I never it wasn't like I was, you know, doing the same job for all that time. There were multiple, (laughs) multiple opportunities to to learn new things and, and go into new markets geographically, as well as different lines of business.
0: How did you have enough courage to say yes to some of those opportunities? I know a lot of our, our listening audience, when you're in a work environment, you're presented with the stretch assignment and inside you're freaking out. But on the outside, you know, that it's something that you should say yes to. Are there any insights that you could Give to us whether from you as both a product manager, right? Expecting that maybe giving that to somebody that worked with you or under you or as part of your team, and you yourself maybe having to take on a new position.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think there's two different things that come to mind as it relates to that question. And one of them might actually be kind of counterintuitive. So I'll say that one first, which is. It's actually okay to say no at certain points in your life. And I do feel like sometimes people are really like stressed out about I have to position myself this way, and I have to like post this number of times on social media. And I'm not going to succeed if I don't do X, Y, and Z next week or something like that. And and I, I will say, I mean, I'm super ambitious, and I do love to work. But I also am a strong propon- proponent of running your own race. And I think, especially as a woman, I have a lovely husband of nearly 30 years who himself is an entrepreneur and a founder, and we have three kids and so there were lots of times when I was like you know this is just not the right time for me so I think being okay with that is is important number one but then number two is also realizing that a lot of the people who and this this was like a a big aha moment for me I was maybe 45 And we had acquired a company and there were a bunch of people who came in through that acquisition who were a couple of years younger than me. And and they were very confident and taking on really significant roles within Morningstar. And it kind of occurred to me like, well, wait wait a second. Like, I could do that. I could do it better, actually. I could do more than I'm doing. And why is that not happening? And that was a point when I realized I did need to, to just take... a a big dose of confidence and 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 realize that i had a lot to offer at that point because i had taken a a slightly different path i I worked part-time and things like that when my kids were little i was ready to really like step it up and that that was a really important realization for me and i was really happy to kind of just dig in a little bit deeper into my own capabilities at that point
0: Hey, listeners, whether you're a CEO, an inspiring entrepreneur, or simply someone who wants to grow and succeed, In The Sweet Pod has something for you. Follow us on Instagram at In The Sweet Pod to stay up to date on all our latest episodes and engaging content. Don't miss out on the opportunity to join the conversation and become part of our growing community. We appreciate it so, so much. How much do certifications, continuing ed, play a part in the trajectory of our, our careers? You do hold the chartered financial analyst designation. And Tricia, it's not something that we've talked a lot about here in the suite. We've talked a lot about the CFP credential, Certified Financial Professional, but I'm fascinated to learn more about the Chartered Financial Analysts. I know that our listeners are as well. And you also serve on the vice chair of the CFA Board of Governors. So it would be great if you could talk a little bit, how does the CFA designation differ from the CFP? And who's it for and who's it not for?
1: Yes. So the CFA designation has been a very Pivotal designation in the course of my career. I can't state strongly enough how important it has it has been for me in a whole variety of ways. Um, When I and part of it is just backing up a sec. When I started my my work at Morningstar, I was an analyst. I was a writer. I was covering securities, uh, specifically closed end funds and mutual funds. And I didn't have a background in investing or finance, particularly. And so I pursued the CFA as a way to ensure that I knew what I was talking about, essentially. I also found it to be incredibly challenging. And at the time that I took it, the exam was only offered once a year and it's a three-year course. And that back to the thing of running your own race. I was also having my kids around that time. I was in my like, late 20s wow. early 30s so I, I had, took the exam one year had a baby the next year took the exam the third year that was the second level had the baby the fourth year and then finished up with the CFA the third year the in it was basically what was year year five and it wasn't like I had it all planned out that way ahead of time but that is how it happened but what I took away from that was first of all inc- an incredible body of knowledge over that time period that has been invaluable to my understanding of investments, um, working with asset managers, understanding how essentially to communicate better with end investors coming from that place of of strength and knowledge of the details in the background. But also from a credibility perspective, it it is a a really strong signal that uh, you've you've done the work and earned your stripes. And so even though I, I did not end up pursuing a career in investment management specifically, and moved over to the wealth tech side, I understand the importance of what goes on from an investment perspective and how that impacts the ultimate technology and tools that investment professionals need to use increasingly. So that was a really nice fit for me um, as I moved over to to build businesses and, and build software products.
0: I think the power of your example, too, also shows that women, particularly in childbearing years and raising their family, that there is that there's there's an opportunity to get started. We can't let like raising our our kids and there's a time to be all in. But there's a time to, I think, ladder in. I give you such tremendous credit. I'm just sitting here in awe. I looked at one time somebody that I knew was taking that exam and I opened up the page and I was like, oh, <laughs> especially if you're so non-math like like me and, and you lean in more towards the, the qualitative side than the quantitative side. What about the CFP too? Who would a CFP then be more suited for? Somebody on the, on the wealth management side, somebody that wants to be in financial advisory, would you say? Yeah,
1: maybe. I guess I, I would think I would think of it more not so much in terms of the role. I think mm-hmm. it's more of the point of emphasis from the person's point of view. So, like I said, even though I did not pursue a path in securities valuation or portfolio construction or portfolio management directly, having that body of knowledge for me was instrumental to how I ended up pursuing a path in wealth tech and and product management i think from a financial advisor point of view there are the cf the cfp is a is a different body of knowledge which is incredibly valuable also and the the cfa has the 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 focus more squarely on the underlying securities valuing security mm. Um, as well as some aspects of, of broader portfolio construction and markets and think mark the, the keys to a, a functioning market and things like that. I will also say that in the CFA curriculum, there are certificates that have been rolled out that focus on specific things like ESG or data analysis and integrating technology and data. So there are other innovations around investing that would be relevant to uh, additional points of view in addition to the full CFA curriculum. So that that's something that's kind of interesting, I think, for for listeners to check out.
0: Yeah, and thank you. And to your point, Tricia, we'll have a link in the show notes to the CFA Institute. And actually,
1: Tina, if I could say one other thing about yeah. it that I just that just came back to mind, which was also really important for me, my my work at Morningstar was very very global and i think that one of the things that appeals to me still to this day about the cfa is that it's a global globally recognized mm. curriculum and even the certificates are very intentionally targeted at either specific regions or adapted for those regions but it's it is not a us specific designation and so for people that are thinking about their career in a global context that that is another very important reason to consider the CFA designation specifically. That's huge. Also one of the fun parts about being on the board because there's, we we have a very diverse board with representation from multiple continents and countries and geographies. So I just have always found that to be an important part of, of my personal interests include having that kind of exposure. So that that makes it a really fun group of people to spend time with.
0: Well, speaking of global and speaking of quantitative, I tried to dig into my quantitative self before you came in here. And uh, it goes back to something that Lori was saying on your FinTech Titans panel over at Riskalyze. And that is, it's interesting because both of you are, you're both board members here. But there was a study that I found in a release from the International Monetary Fund that talked about women in fintech as leaders and users. It was a July study, of course, we'll link it to the the show notes. And that they, they found that women's representation on executive boards and fintech firms is comparatively low, which is Different from the percentage of women in technology firms. So it's about 14.5%. And so I would love to hear your insights as a woman who has been both a founder and as a FinTech board member, what you think about how we can improve women's representations on boards overall. Sure, it's it's um I, I, there are
1: lots of things I've done in my career that were not super intentional but the, in the board context actually it was quite intentional. I was interested in getting some exposure to board work and what worked for me and I am very grateful to Morningstar for Providing this opportunity. Morningstar was the largest investor in Y charts. And that was the first board that I joined. So as an investor, Morningstar had a board seat and I had expressed an interest. So, so that was, was a really wonderful opportunity that I was afforded through that. And it was an incredible first board to be on for all sorts of reasons. Uh, And then we led it to a successful exit. And then that board was reconstituted when the ownership changed hands. So I left that board in the fall of 2020. I think one of the unexpected learnings for me from being on any of the boards, frankly, that I've been on is I I think for, for, for many traditionally men board work was seen as like the chapter that they did after they finished their operating career. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like Mm -hmm. the, you know, I can golf and be on the board and still have some income and kind of give back. I actually think for women increasingly, as as boards seek to get more diversity, um, it will be less sequential and more interwoven into the fabric. And I think you've seen this with, you know, there are younger women on boards who also have operating roles. Obviously, you have to be careful about conflict and making sure that that you're adding value to the board, but not in a way that detracts from your operating role in any way. And that can be kind of tricky. But I think being a board member makes you a better operator. And as an operator, you start to understand what a board member would need or could offer to you and how can a board add value to you as an operator. So there's a really nice relationship when you have the opportunity to do both things and not necessarily have it be so uh, sequential like I think it has been traditionally.
0: It's a huge piece of advice there. What a great takeaway that is. Well, you are someone that has made an incredible mark in FinTech and WealthTech for Women. And you've been recognized by industry. You were included on financial, most recently, you were included on Financial Planning's 2021, most likely to change wealth management. You received the coveted Investment News uh, Women to Watch Award in 2020. And I would love to hear from you what change in wealth management you were most proud about making in 2022. Yes, I, uh,
1: I I think coming out of the pandemic, one of the things that we've learned around relationships and personalization and really showing up for people, even if it's only on Zoom, That's something that advisors in particular, some do by instinct, and that's probably what would make some a good advisor. But other advisors uh, need to to work at, and I, I feel like in the riskalized context, it's it's one of the ways that advisors, and one of the things I'm most proud of, I would say, is ensuring that an advisor is checking in with their clients. And one of the features that uh, riskalized actually talked about at the conference. I think there were many advisors in the audience who didn't even know it existed because there was some ooing and eyeing at that time and people tweeting about it. But it's just a simple concept of a check-in where you go out to your clients and you ask them two questions. You can do it via text or, you know, on a mobile phone or whatever. And, and it has to do with, with confidence and security, which are two of the main things that advisors are offering people People think they're offering growth of a portfolio, but I think underlying that what advisors are really offering to their clients is confidence and security. And so by asking these two questions, how do you feel about the markets and how do you feel about your investments, you can really learn really quickly how to better work with your clients and who needs a little bit of a, a virtual hug or a financial hug <laughs> and and who is you know feeling pretty comfortable even if the markets aren't going great they feel good about their particular financial situation like that's a good spot to be in and conversely you probably want to like reach out to them if they think the markets are going strong but but they're not confident like that's that's a red flag to you so that's a i think that that type of just touch point with investors and like i said at the beginning making what can be kind of complex and overwhelming simple for people is a very uh, it's something that I'm, that I'm proud of. And I'm, I'm glad to see catching on more.
0: Yeah, it's probably a great feature right now, given the way the market has been. One of the things that we saw in see in wealth management is that it's really a lack of communication and not a lack of performance that makes people leave their advisor. To me, I found that like an earth shattering to actually see that. And luckily we were very communicative with our clients, but I think that is a, a really good celebration, especially after the pandemic. So when that's a look back, so what do you hope to achieve? Where are you focused right now in 2023 in terms of like making that impact and that contribution?
1: Well, I would say it gets to broadening the number of voices that can participate in the financial conversation comfortably. And I think women are often—I don't want to say necessarily overlooked, but but not necessarily embraced in a way that's that's a language or you know the, a, a value system perhaps that that would resonate really clearly and instinctively. And, and I think that there is a lot of things that we can do as an industry to, to change that. Lori Hardwick talked about that a little bit on the Titans panel that we had, and how how can advisors work to better retain their women clients because more than half will leave within 12 months after their partner passes away because they don't really feel connected to their advisor. And I think, I mean, there's there's other voices in addition to women's voices. There's younger younger people. I, I think the industry has kind of poo-pooed the fact that younger people get all excited about the meme stocks and they don't invest like we used to invest, and they don't understand. And that may be true that there's some some gaps in their knowledge, but I, I also think we need to embrace other ways of of reaching younger investors and being a little bit more creative. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing podcasts and things but i think there's there's a lot of ways that the in, that the industry can reach people who haven't traditionally been included in the conversation certainly the black and brown and hispanic communities haven't really been fully represented in the industry in the way that that they should be so those are the kinds of things that i enjoy focusing on and and, and believe are worthy of our time
0: So I would love for you to share with us about Financial Fitness Group. You are a board member there. We are friends of Financial Fitness Group here in the suite. People listening will be very familiar. You probably heard us mention Financial Fitness Group on a podcast in in the suite here. And for those people listening who don't know what Financial Fitness Group, you are behind some worthy organizations as you talked about wanting to be more inclusive, financial services to be more inclusive. And you have a partnership with Savvy Ladies. So I w- would love to celebrate that. We've had Suzanne Syracuse here in the suite. She's a big proponent of, of Savvy la- Ladies. I too have been to a bunch of their events. At one point, I was on the board over there in a, a, a very small capacity. I still follow their work. And so can you tell us a little bit about what that partnership partnership means. That is a perfect segue. Yes, that is, that is an example of what I was saying a second ago. So thank you. Just like a I got to tell you, like, I, I mean, it just, I was like, wow, the way that that lined up. Thank you, universe. <laughs>
1: So, financial fitness group is on a, a digital financial educational platform. What's unique about them is that they measure aptitude, behavior, and confidence—all three of those things. Which, as I kind of said before, with the financial advisors and the check-ins and things like that, I mean, understanding what you're doing is one thing, and that's maybe where your CFA comes in or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But um, how you behave, obviously what's really going to impact the outcome and how you feel, which is the confidence is what you carry with you 24 seven. So using the financial fitness group uh, curriculum and they have a financial fitness score, which measures those three things. It's an interesting offering. They they power Morningstar's investing classroom, which is how mm-hmm. I first became familiar with them because we leveraged their work during uh, many of the years that I was at Morningstar. And they also serve clients as diverse as the Ho-Chunk Nation, for example, in the Native American tribe in Wisconsin, where any of the participants of that community, when they turn 18, in order to get their government grants, they need to pass the financial fitness curriculum. And they serve all of the state employees of the state of Iowa, um, which is a benefit that the state of Iowa provides to make sure that their state employees have a Opportunity to understand it, and and frankly, in the employer space, having um, a baseline level of confidence and understanding of your finances is also shown to reduce stress in the workplace, which reduces healthcare costs. So there's a, a virtual circle of benefit that comes back to the employer when you offer these types of programs to your employees to help them reduce stress, and and ultimately it improves healthcare outcomes. It's it's really f- fascinating data supporting the benefits. Of, of just having some basic financial understanding. In the case of Savvy Ladies, that's just an amazing organization. I was not as aware of them as you were, obviously. I'm friendly with Suzanne and, and was very excited to learn through her introduction what Savvy Ladies is all about. And so I, I brought them forward to Financial Fitness mm-hmm. Group and get that introduction. And so Financial Fitness Group is able to provide the digital online kind of courses to supplement the financial advisor work. They they obviously, financial uh, Savvy Ladies rather, has pro bono advisors that are generously serving women of any financial level who really are in a time of crisis or have some need to take control of their own finances and previously didn't have any outlet or, or any resources to understand how to do that. So having the digital coursework from Financial Fitness Group is just a really obviously Um, complementary addition to the work that they're already doing.
0: Yeah, and I, I love what you were just talking about on the pro bono side. It's reason why we bring these resources in the suite. So that the people that need to have access to them or maybe could recommend these resources to someone else in need, that they're on everybody's radar. So these are not things that are, we're not suggesting anything that's costing money to people listening. It's just great financial content that's been tried and true that is empowering uh, organizations and wow, entire states. That's really incredible. Your kids must be geniuses what effect do you think that the kids have kind of taken away from both you and your your husband just working and, and being founders and being iconic in your industry? Clearly, you're two people who've made a mark here. They are lovely children. Yes, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will say they're really, I think, quite self-sufficient. I was really pleased over Thanksgiving and Everybody, we agreed ahead of time, like who was going to contribute what. I mean, I had two two dishes that I was responsible for. My oldest son is a really amazing cook. And so he did probably three things. My daughter was in charge of the charcuterie board. (laughs) Um, My daughter-in-law made dessert. Like everybody just had their contribution. And I did not feel responsible for <laughs> the whole thing in any way, shape, or form. Like I was a contributor, just like they were contributors. We did have to call on my husband at the last minute. He does not eat meat, but unfortunately we had not assigned the turkey to anybody else. <laughs> he used to do it. So he was drafted back to turkey duty. Um, uh, anyway, it just, I just, it made me kind of proud that like, it wasn't on my shoulders. And I was like, hey, I think that worked out pretty well over all those years of you know many maybe missing meals or or missing dishes because I didn't have time to do it everybody has learned to chip yeah. it
0: and I love, Trisha, how our questions are leading into other questions, like just harmoniously. And I know the answer to our last question. Before I get to that, really quick, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Sure. You guys yeah. got to hold on for this last answer because it is it is mind blowing. It's awesome.
1: Okay, um, get in touch yeah. with me is easy. It's uh, trisha.rothschild at icloud.com.
0: Okay, cool. Okay, you guys heard it, heard it here first. We'll put it in the show notes. Now, this, the last question. As we wrap up season three in the suite, it is, can you introduce us to a charity, a nonprofit, a GoFundMe, or a cause that you believe in and why? And I have to say, Trisha Rothschild, you have one of the best answers to this question.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Tina. I am very <laughs> excited about this work that my family and a, a few other families in the Chicago area have been doing. We just finished up or are, are finishing up our first year of an ex- organization that we founded and launched called the Chicago Giving Circle you can look it up online chicagogivingcircle.com the specifics may not be relevant to people from other cities but hopefully the concept will resonate and be relevant we banded together with a few other families to do kind of a, a philanthropy club if you will if you will a little bit of a VC for a lot of us our founders or have worked at you know startups and uh, we wanted to pool our philanthropic dollars together so that we could make more meaningful grants to charities that specifically serve Chicago and we had a theme we we voted on as a group this year's theme was workforce development and we pooled our our funds together to support two charities in Chicago one is called sunshine enterprises and the other is credmade chicago Sunshine Enterprises provides training and, and resources to help entrepreneurs in underdeveloped parts of the city, like launch their small businesses or grow their small businesses. So you could be a seamstress or a tailor working out of your home, but wanting to get more business, or you could be a mechanic and and, and trying to figure out like how to do marketing so they provide tools and resources for those people in their communities and and credmade brings formerly inca- incarcerated or gang members together from different groups to work together in a in a in a factory manufacturing facility, basically, to use kind of work as a bridge, both economically, but also like behaviorally to help people overcome some of the problems that, that they've been experiencing and, and is a really, really great organization. So we look for kind of small, smallish nonprofits where we can have a difference over multiple years.
0: See, I think that is so exciting. And I think it's so inspirational that you planted that seed that a lot of us could gather together. I just didn't even, didn't even think of doing anything like that until when you introduced the concept, the last time that we talked, I just said, how many people are going to listen to that now and say, wow, we can do something, something similar. I really commend you and your husband and your family for making such an incredible contribution. It's also a great lesson for, for your kids. And so usually we're, when we give, we're giving to an organization outside of ourselves and sometimes, uh, I feel like a little bit of a lack of control. I'm like, oh, okay, here. I hope it's going for the things that are intended. And there are a lot of great nonprofits, certainly ones that we, um, that we talked about today and that you introduced us. So Trisha Rothschild, thank you so, so much. I am honored that you are here. Thank you for spending the time with me twice now because for me, it's been an incredible benefit. You've been a a great role model to not only myself, but a lot of women in this industry listening. Congratulations on all of your success. And I look forward to seeing you in the future.
1: Thank you, Tina. It was a great honor. You are a great host and it's been really impressive to see your success as well. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you you're listening to in the suite a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and the wealth management industry our producers are tina powell and kevin Hirschhorn. our editor at large is kevin Hirshhorn our content writers are dimple rashandani daniel wheeler and tina powell in the suite podcast is sponsored by intentionally the growth engine design consultancy firm, transforming the way financial technology and financial services companies approach marketing. To learn more, visit intention.ly. And please let us know how you enjoyed this amazing episode with Trisha Rothschild. And share your thoughts on social media, hashtag InTheSuite. You can connect with Trisha on LinkedIn. And thank you so, so, so much for listening and subscribing and giving us five-star reviews. We are so grateful we've got listeners in 1,338 cities and 64 countries as of this recording. That's the most we've ever had, so we all it to you. Thank you so much. Feel free to email me at Tina at in the suite podcast.com to pitch guests for season four, 2023, and let us know who you want to see here in the suite. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to in the suite.